Welcome to Life on Less Meds, a podcast that reveals the truth about drug side effects and the best strategies to manage them. And now your host, Dr. Yosef Wittering. How long did you take it for before you started to notice that something wasn't quite right? Within one week, uh, I was feeling psychiatric symptoms, basically. And I took it like for only like 10, 15 days at 30 milligrams. So I go to the doctor and I thought talking to a psychiatrist at the time was a good idea. Uh, uh oh. Yeah. Yeah, that wasn't the case. Um, you know, I went to the psychiatrist and actually, not only was I told it was out of my system, but he even implied that it was fully psychosomatic. He told me if I smashed the Reglan pill and put it in your soup, you wouldn't have any symptoms because you wouldn't notice. Oh my God. Hi, I'm Dr. Yosef Wittering. It's my pleasure to be joined today by Diogo. He is here to talk us to talk to us about a, a uncommon and severe side effect of metoclopramide uh, in the U.S. It's called Reglan. It's a medication given for um, uh, nausea, and um, it's a really interesting story where it was misdiagnosed, attributed to a psychiatric condition, and that just led to things getting worse and worse. Uh, so, Diego, thank you so much for uh, agreeing to come on and share your story with me. And uh, let's just start at the beginning. Talk, talk to us about how you even got put on metoclopramide to begin with. So thank you so much for having me. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sorry if there's any back room, <laughs> background noise. Um, and, uh, yeah, and yeah, thank you for sharing my story. I think it's really important. Um, well, basically, I have Meniere's disease, and I've had it for a long time, like 15 years, 20 years. And, and just describe to the audience who may not be familiar with that, what, what the symptom, what the kind of ongoing symptoms of that disease are. Okay, so basically, Meniere's disease is an inner ear problem. So you might actually find yourself on a boat when you're not on a boat, basically <laughs> just you know, floating around and having to grab onto stuff. And, uh, you know, mine appeared pretty early. It was very severe at the, at the time. Yeah, so, so it's, a, it's a lot of, like, unsteadiness, like, almost like this sense of the room spinning and also, like, uh, you, you can become nauseous when that becomes very severe, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I had some circumstantial, circumstantial stressors at the time and it can really get my Meniere's disease going. And it did. And I was giving, uh, I was given uh, a, a nausea drug for it eventually called metoclopramide. Uh, I had never taken it before. Uh, I had never been given it. And that's when I started to feel some weird symptoms, basically. And was this given to you as an outpatient or when you went into the emergency room with some kind of crisis? Outpatient, outpatient. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and nobody warned me that this this nausea drug had potential um, effects on your brain, basically. The pharmacist didn't tell me, the doctor didn't tell me this wasn't discussed at all. Because it's thought of as a really, typically it's thought of as a very benign drug. Oh, you know, this person's they're having a little bit of nausea. Let's just give them metoclopramide. It's, it's no big deal. Yeah. But um, there's... It actually shares a lot of similarities with the antipsychotic class of medications in that it's a, a, a dopamine blocking drug. You know that's how it 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 it, it has its um its its therapeutic effects. At least I believe so. Um, and 
although we don't consider it typically to be a medication associated with movement disorders and permanent movement disorders like the antipsychotic class, there are a lot of cases out there of people who develop tardive dyskinesia, I guess tardive akathisia, which you're suffering from, but also things like Parkinsonism and all of these 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 things. So it doesn't surprise me that no one told you uh, about any of these things and they kind of were just like, oh, you know, just take it, no big deal. Uh, but to, so, so talk to us now a little bit about how, like, how long did you take it for before you started to notice that something wasn't quite right? So basically, I was I was given um, thirty milligrams a day, uh, ten milligrams with each meal, and I didn't notice anything for the first three four days. That's it can be very insidious, you know. It can develop over time, but within one week, uh, I was feeling psychiatric symptoms basically, and I took it like for only like ten fifteen days at thirty milligrams. Mm-hmm. And then it got changed to PRN. Um, yeah, but no one, even when it got changed to PRN, no one told me why they were changing it to PRN, and no one told me, yeah, that it could be related to my symptoms. You know, when you say psychiatric symptoms, um, I'm, I'm curious what what were the psychiatric symptoms that that you had? You know, when I think of metoclopramide, I think maybe it's agitation, it's anxiety, but it could be depression as well. I, I was just wondering what flavor of of um, adverse behavioral side effects uh, kind of started to creep in slowly. Yeah, that's a very interesting question. So the th- the first thing I noticed, and I recall telling this to my doctor at the time, is like. I sleep, but I don't rest. So it was this feeling of tension uh, in my body. I didn't have insomnia or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But even though I was sleeping, I didn't feel rested. I felt tense all day. And then I started getting crying spells. Um, before even the anxiety and, and depression creeped in, just random crying spells. I was scared of my family quite a bit. And after that, the anxiety kicked in. And eventually, pacing started too. Yeah. And what you're describing there is actually uh, really classic, uh, what we call, I guess, akathisia. People usually think of akathisia as just the pacing, but there's this stage of it that kind of precedes it. And a lot of people actually find this stage worse. It's, it's a sensation as if you've had like 10 Red Bulls or 10 cups of coffee, and it never ends. You know, you can never relax. You always feel keyed up and you always feel completely wired. And it's it's almost like a state of torture. And when that level of inner agitation boils over and there's so much internal restlessness and energy, then you start to move. And sometimes people can pace for 10 to 12 hours and it's just, it's living torture. So, I mean, what you described is really classic drug-induced akathisia. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Um, yeah. You know, I found out later, of course. Um, yeah. At the time, uh, I wasn't diagnosed with that at all. So is I that just... what they noticed when they said, hey, we're going to change you to PRN? Do you think that was the rationale of the doctors? Like, hey, we're going to make it less frequent? I'm not sure. You know, what was interesting was, like, my symptoms were getting pretty bad. And I, I also got constipation at the time. I started losing weight too, which I was told can also be a side effect. I lost my appetite. So I was thinking about the gastro issue, you know. So I I went to, to a big hospital here where I live and they just randomly told me, random, not randomly, but they just told me, well, we can't really take this daily anymore. 
and uh, changed me to PRN. But they didn't tell me this can affect your brain or this can cause, cause psychiatric symptoms. And I myself, I thought I was just freaking out because I didn't know that such a thing was possible. And your description of ataphysia was perfect, you know, and if I knew what it was at the time, I would have recognized it. Yeah. And so that that visit to the hospital when, when they changed things, did you go for psychiatric reasons? Were you there saying, I think I'm losing my mind, like something's happening to me, what's going on? Was that what, or was this in an outpatient setting when they changed it? So it was outpatient setting. I went there because yeah. I was freaking out with the loss of appetite and weight loss. And okay. I still thought that psychiatric symptoms were just me, basically. Ah, interesting. Okay. So... So, so they change it to PRN. So, I guess you're not taking it every every day now. And presumably, they did that because it's probably a lot easier to say, "Oh, the weight loss is due to the daily reglan, so the daily metoclopramide use and the, and the appetite changes." And so, what? How, how do things change after you're not you're, you're no longer taking it every day? What What do you notice in the months after that? Okay, so then that's when things got really weird for me. You know, I I wasn't taking it every day anymore. I did have it with me, and I didn't even imagine it could be the drug. So it wasn't in my mind at all. And I had it with me, and I got a little bit better. My agitation got a little bit better. It was still bad, though. And then I, I went to, the, to this other hospital where I knew a doctor, and he said, okay, I can help you. Let's, let's find out what you have. And they ran this huge panel like, thyroid and mm -hmm. HPA axis and infectious diseases and autoimmune diseases, you know. Well, at the time, they didn't do a neurological panel, but I, I wasn't even thinking of that. I wasn't mm -hmm. even thinking neurological. I just thought I was, like, losing my mind. Mm -hmm. And just maybe the symptoms were affecting my brain. I don't know. But I was focused on my intestine, my stomach. I got an endoscopy. I got colonoscopy, the whole nine yards. And, you know, my appetite started recovering a little bit. I started feeling a little bit better. And I was at this hospital. And, um, yeah, but I didn't know what was causing it, right? So eventually, after I'm off, like, for half a month or something, I feel this little bit of nausea. And uh, I take another pill. Oh, yeah. And my symptoms just ramp up half an hour later. They wow. completely get out of control. I start crying. And, and I'm like, no, this has got to be the pill. But I still don't believe it. You know, and I'm still focused on my symptoms as being original, originally psychiatric. So eventually they don't find anything. So the doctor at the hospital gives me an SSRI uh, to help with the situation. And uh, I take the SSRI and it gives me a little bit of nausea. So I decide, well, I'm going to take the Reglan with the SSRI. You know, that will make yeah. it better. And, and I do... Bam. And again, they ramp, the, yeah. they ramp up again, and my chest's exploding, and I'm like, okay, so this is the Reglan. And then I research, and I find the word akathisia, and I find out what's happening to me. Yeah. Um, and so, I guess after you put the pieces together, what was the reception like from the medical practitioners that you were working with when you started telling them, hey, I think... I think I think something really bad's happened to me because of the reg line. Because what I'm assuming is that like it was still there, even though like you weren't taking the reg line every day and you were just doing it as needed, like it didn't really go away, that there was still like kind of a background level of it, right? 
Yeah. yeah, it didn't yeah. go away, and that was yeah. the issue, and that's why I was so. So, so it's there out. in the background, and then you would take it, and it would spike. Exactly. Okay. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So I went. I researched what I could take for it. I was very uncomfortable at the time, I mean, in my body. Like it's it's like this tension where you feel like you're going to blow up, mm-hmm. but you never blow up. Mm-hmm. It's the weirdest thing. You feel like you can't take two more seconds without blowing up, but you never blow up. It's one, one way to describe it. There's other aspects to it, right? So I wanted relief. I was desperate for relief, you know? And, and I, I had a job at the time. I was, I'm, I'm the breadwinner. And mm-hmm. I felt this responsibility towards my family. I need to get better. You know, I need to sort this thing out to go back to normal, go back to work. So I go to the doctor. I tell him, this is what I think I have. I think it's the metacroplum, right? It got dismissed basically. Uh, no, that can't be possible. And and I thought talking to a psychiatrist at the time was a good idea. Uh oh. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, most people do because yeah. you know you do trust the system. And then I was yeah. like, I asked the GP, okay, I want the psychiatrist referral. I need to talk to him about this because he'll recognize this, right? I yeah. mean, this is what they do. So yeah, that wasn't the case. Um, you know, I went to the psychiatrist and actually not only was I told it was out of my system, but he even implied that it was fully psychosomatic. He told me, if I smashed the Reglan pill and put it in your soup, you wouldn't have any symptoms because you wouldn't notice. Oh, my God. Um, and so, I mean, how did you feel after that interaction? You know, you go in there and he essentially tries to gaslight you and it's, it's just like... Diego, you know, this is all in your head. And, and maybe, I mean, did you even have a psychiatric history in the past or was, was it just Meniere's disease? Did, like, So yeah. uh, not, not a meaningful psychiatric history. Not a meaning, okay, yeah. Um, so yeah, so what, what, what was that like, you know, feeling so sure that there was something going on and he just kind of gaslights you and tells you it's in your head? Yeah. It was unbelievable. It's like, and, and, you know, and he told me, it's out of your system. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a... I'm not dumb, you know, I can use the internet uh, yeah. and, and not necessarily just Dr. Google. So after he told me that, I did consider that, you know, because he's a doctor, he's a specialist, right? So I went home, I was like, okay, he told me it's out of my system, it can't do this. And okay, I'm going to check if it's true or not. And I did check if it was true or not. And it was false because I immediately found dozens of articles that described long-term syndromes with metoclopramide. And I'm like, why did he tell me that this was impossible, if there are dozens of uh, scientific articles that say it's possible. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think this is so well known, it's even clearly listed in the drug label uh, as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and so what, what do you do when something, like what, what did you do? Okay, so the person that you go to who you think is going to help you and who you trust pretty much says, this isn't true, you're crazy. I mean, what, what are your next steps? I mean, are you, are you just figuring this out on the internet by yourself at that point? Just saying, oh, I'm on my own. Yeah. So at the time, I still thought I was going to get help. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm not fully on my own. I have this psychiatrist I really like. Um, she's like a personal friend. And I'm like, okay, this guy didn't get it. But I'm sure she will get it. And, mm-hmm. and she happened to work at the same hospital. So what I'm going to do... I want to twist their arm to get this psychiatrist I know and trust, and I'm sure she'll help me. And I did. That was the idea. Um, and uh, it didn't work, of course, <laughs> because I was told similar things, not in the same way, 
but I was just told it was very unlikely there was a metoclopramide, uh, even though I had no meaningful psychiatric issues before, um, you know, and there was this one, one time, and you like this one. Um, so by this time, I was having like, pan I had developed panic attacks. It was pretty bad. And there was this one time I arrived home in a panic attack and my wife told me, just go to the hospital, go talk with the doctor. And she trusts her too, you know? Sure. And, and I, I went there, like in full-blown akathisia, having a panic attack, pacing and stuff. And her solution was to give me Seroquel. Oh, dear. Right? Yeah. That was okay. the solution. And, and again, I trust this person. I like this person personally. Um, you know, I think she was buying into the previous diagnosis from the other doctor who told me this is just all in your head. But I was like, you know, I'm going to consider it because I want to get better. I want to make my life better. I want to yeah, that's, that's, that's what you do. Right. And that's what we've always learned. You know, if you're having serious problems, go to a hospital and trust the experts. I mean, there we go. You, you didn't go to four years of medical school and specialty training and nope. you're not a pharmacologist or anything nope. like that. That's that's how most people solve serious problems. They go and find uh, an expert, and and so you're saying, let me suspend my disbelief and just go along with it because they may know something I don't. It's actually probably it's likely they know something I don't because they're a medical professional, right? Yeah, quite um, right. Yeah, and so, and I guess you're not knowing at the same. Well, maybe you do know at this point that. Seroquel has a similar mechanism of action to metoclopramide, and that may be just the type of thing that could aggravate the uh, the akathisia. So I don't know. Why don't you tell us what happened after you had some Seroquel? Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, this is fun, right? So I I went back home, and you know my wife knew I was in pretty bad conditions, so she decided to take my kid to her parents. Thank God that happened, and you know I was going to trust the doctor, so I arrived home. And I, I took the Seroquel and I went to bed mm -hmm. because fortunately I never had severe insomnia like other people do. Um, I woke up at 3 a.m. and started racing through my apartment, crying completely out of control. I couldn't stop moving. It was absolutely horrifying. That's exactly what happened. And that was the only dose of it I took, basically. Wow. And so... You know, something that I like, I guess something that I really want to know is, you know, when someone's going to write you off as having a psychosomatic condition or an anxiety disorder, I mean, were they asking you, hey, Diogo, is, is, are there stressful things happening in your life? You know, does this make sense in the context of what's happening? Do they ask you these questions? Do they try and put something together or, or they were just like, Hey, sometimes mental illness just randomly comes out of nowhere. Even though you've you, you haven't had substantial problems in the past, it just chose this moment to kick in. Like like how how deep did they did they really kind of question a a like a like a I guess something that would logically explain why you'd all of a sudden develop severe anxiety and and you know like like you were, like you were experiencing. There were zero conversations about that. Yeah, I, I was basically given the diagnosis, the initial diagnosis, based on my symptoms alone. Yeah, okay. And the causality between the metoclopramide and the symptoms was not relevant because, as I mentioned, it was out of my system. Yeah. And so, 
I guess, had you learned that your lesson at that point and you were just like, oh, I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to go back to the doctors or did you have a couple more run-ins afterwards? Well, yeah, I was like, I'm on my own. I'm on okay. my own. And yeah. I decided that I have to run the show myself. So mm-hmm. the doctors will prescribe stuff I might need, but I'm on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I remember being at work extremely agitated and having the PDR. Mm-hmm and uh, understanding that I was on my own. Um, So, okay, I'm going to research this and find out uh, what I can do for this, medicine-wise. That's what I decided to do. Then I'm going to push the doctors into prescribing it. And uh, so, yeah, talk to me a little bit about that. Did you... um... Um, What was that endeavor like, you know, looking for solutions? Because for my... My experience, it's very hard to find anything that really touches that, that, those kinds of symptoms. Yeah, I had no idea at the yeah. time uh, yeah. that was like that. I thought I'd, you know, I'd, had a, I'd, I'd have a couple of rough months and uh, I'd be fine. Yeah. Um, I planned my life accordingly. Um, you know, at first I got uh, an anticholinergic drug. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had an interesting effect. Um, it stopped the movements, but it didn't stop the agitation or the dysphoria. That, and that was probably benztropine, right? Or was it a different one? It was a different one, but yeah. like benztropine, yeah. Okay. And and uh, I don't remember the name at the time. Uh, at now, uh, yeah. And then mm-hmm. I was I, I I found out about mirtazapine, mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, this sounds good. This sounds good. Mirtazapine works for some people, etc. Uh, let's go for for mirtazapine. And I started taking mirtazapine, and it had no effect. I didn't notice myself getting worse, but it had no effect, basically. Um, maybe helped me sleep, which helps a lot of people. But I didn't have a, like a very big sleeping issue at the beginning. I didn't sleep perfectly either, but it wasn't a huge issue. Um, and then I was given something similar to bupropion called tandospirone, which is popular in Asia. It's not really marketed in the US and Europe much, as far mm-hmm. as I'm aware. I just got worse and worse and worse. Um, and then um, I was suggested to try Valproate, basically. Mm-hmm. And it didn't work either. Um, so this was like six months in. I was as bad as I could be. I couldn't work at this point. And I was getting really desperate. Mm-hmm. Eventually, and after you know finding information online and on the um, on the forums, I was able to um, get some clonopin from my mm-hmm. doctor, and that helped. Yep. Uh, I was on the mirtazapine. Still, everything else I discontinued after two three weeks of each drug, and then I I got the clonopin, and I used it as an emergency med, um, and that kind of helped. Yeah. Okay. Um... And so, so walk me forward. So, so give, give me some timelines on this actually. Okay. So when did you, when were you prescribed the metoclopramide? What, what was the year and month? Got it. So December, 2021. 2021. Okay. And so, and when do you start the clonopin? What year and month? I started the clonopin, um, around June, July, 2022. 2022. Okay. So now you've been on it for a little bit over a year. Um, I mean, this is kind of complicated, right? Because clonopin's not something that you want to be on long term, right? 
Which yeah, but fortunately, yeah. at the time, um, I was talking with people online and I was mm -hmm. told, be careful with the clonopin, you know, mm -hmm. and it didn't really, like, it didn't take all the symptoms off, mm -hmm. right? But it did help a bunch when I was desperate, right? And what I tried to do, I, I found an article about Dr. Shipko and, and sure. Akatesia and Dr. Shipko, you know, your, your audience could be familiar with him, well, very likely. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, what I did was, okay, I'm never going to take this more than three times a week. Yep. And that's what I did. And after two, three months of clonopin use, mm -hmm. I was able to not take it more than once a month. And by September, October 2022, I was just not taking the clonopin. And I was handling myself without any drugs besides the mirtazapine. And so do you think it was because the, I guess, you know, when you, when you develop akathisia like this and you've been off the drug, I mean, the only way I can think to understand it is it's, it's a neurological injury at that point. I mean, you've sustained some damage. And do you think the ability to kind of come, come down on your use of clonopin, was, was that due to an improvement in symptoms or a healing of the condition? Or was it just due to maybe settling into the fact that, hey, I'm just going to have to get through this and if I get through this on less drugs, you know, now I know that that's probably going to be better for me in the long in the long term. What was what was that like? Yeah, it was very weird, you know, because at the time, you know, I had some knowledge about the condition, but I was mostly thinking of this as a pu purely receptor problem. <laughs> right? So, you know, I have this unbalance in the brain um, because of the drugs and the clonopin help symptomatically it's not healing me mm -hmm. but it's going to help me survive while i'm healing in the background that Correct. was the idea mm -hmm. right um but on the other hand i had some people who told me well you know the clonopin long term might just dysregulate your system further and it's not a guarantee that you can heal while taking it even occasionally mm -hmm. more pessimistic people other people said no it's fine just take it when you need just be careful not to get hooked and you know and even if you need to get hooked it's better than dying so um, right. yeah. just go for it yeah yeah and i bet um i bet you probably have run into people on the forums who 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 do take it because it helps them from ending their lives or or maybe even they may be even taking things like morphine or other things i mean at a certain point you do anything to to stay alive because something like that generally tends to recover over time um but I want to know, is that your story? I mean, did, has, has your condition, has it gradually recovered over the last few years? Tell, tell me about the trajectory of that akathisia that kind of sits in your body. Okay, yeah. And yeah, I, 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 I can't make sense of this much, you know, to be honest. <laughs> um, but maybe you'll help me make sense of it in a way. Sure. Um, so basically, my worst point was probably May 2022. So six months after it started, I had trialed a bunch of drugs. I hadn't, I hadn't gotten the clonopin yet. I was at my wit's end. Um, I had to fight for my life every day. It was terrible. I was pacing. I was fidgeting. I was crying. It was horrible. And then after I stopped the drug trialing and I was just on mirtazapine, occasional clonopin, it got better over time very very slowly so mm -hmm. what happened was first 
the pacing and the fidgeting largely went. That's, that's what happened. The pacing and the fidgeting largely went. Uh, but the agitation was severe. The dysphoria was still severe. Um, and then this year, uh, I've also gotten a little bit better. Uh, the agitation started going down. Um, so I, I'm way less agitated than before. Mm -hmm. The issue is that uh, the dysphoria is very severe still. Okay. And are you still taking other medications currently? Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, I'm not taking any medications currently. I So I was able to taper off the mirtazapine over a year. Okay, great, great. Um, and so I wonder if you could share with me just a little bit about, I mean, what you see, like to give give me an overview of what the metoclopramide forums are like for for people who have been injured from this drug i mean is it do, do they have their own forums or are they kind of grouped in with the antipsychotic forums what, what where do people like yourselves find you know where, where do they find themselves online well um the first group i found was the metoclopramide group on facebook there's mm -hmm. a metoclopramide reglan group on facebook and i got a lot of information uh, from there and my buddies that helped me through this i met there a lot of people find themselves in the Living with Akatesia forums too, uh, even though it's not my favorite uh, resource because it's quite negative at times. Even though is that Reddit or is that on Facebook as well? Facebook. Okay. It's on yep. Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, I eventually also joined Surviving Antidepressants because, you know, I was put on the metoclopramide anyhow. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Okay. And, um, you know, from being in this, uh, uh, I guess it's Living with Akathisia group, what are the most common drugs that, that lead to someone uh, having an akathisia uh, condition? You know, just from your experience being in the group, what are you seeing out there? Well, you know, I see a lot of people that have it from antipsychotics. And, you mm -hmm. know, and these nausea drugs are virtually antipsychotics. They might be less potent, but for mm -hmm. a vulnerable, pe for vulnerable person, they might lead to akathisia too. You know, so one advice, one piece of advice I have for people is like check the drugs beforehand. If you had an akathisia experience, don't think a nausea drug will be benign and just affect your stomach, right? Oh my God. So yeah. And it's interesting because there's something called ondansetron, which is also another nausea drug, which doesn't have the risk of permanent side effects, right? Which really kind of opens that up to like, why, why do we even use a drug like metoclopramide that has such high risks because i mean tell me this what did you lose personally by going through this i, I mean i mean some people lose their life obviously but some people they, they stop working sometimes it's massively taxing on their family and their home life can you tell me about what it was like living through this condition okay um yeah so, sorry if i cry during this segment <laughs> sure basically um i lost when I got sick, my son still couldn't walk. He was maybe 12 months old, 14 months old. And now, you know, he's 
two, two and a half, you know, and I'm not, I'm not well yet. And mm -hmm. at the beginning, I was so bad. I had to go to move back in with my parents and leave my family behind. So I had to live without my family for six months. Oh I, I burned through all my savings, basically. Um, I had to depend on my parents to a large degree. Um, it was really catastrophic. Um, and now, even though I'm back to work, and even though I can handle it, I suffer through it, you know, because the dysphoria is still pretty bad. And the, and the, um, and the agitation is still pretty bad, even though I don't have the movements the way I had, you know. So the amount of suffering this has caused me and the degree to which this has taken me from my son's life is completely unacceptable. And taking into account this happened because of a nausea spell, it's absolutely unacceptable that this happened, that that drug was used with those risks. Um, and I'm not healed yet, you know. I'm told this can take years to fully go away. Mm -hmm. And I just have to hang in there and wait for it to go away, you know. And wow. meanwhile, I have to work. I have to provide for my family. I have to take care of my son. <sighs> so. Yeah, pretty much everything. I mean, it's, you know, I talk to a lot of people who have been injured from benzodiazepines, a lot of women, and they completely lose the opportunity to have children, you know, because they're maybe they get injured in their twenties or something like that. And there's no way they could even care for someone else, you know, during that period of time. I mean, it's the most heartbreaking and devastating thing that can happen. Um, and so I think people don't understand just how life destroying uh, some of these decisions can be. And I mean, did you have, was there ever any confrontation with the original doctor who, prescribed this to you where you, you, you kind of went back and said, Hey, I figured it out. And Oh, by the way, you really shouldn't be doing this to people. I mean, that, that, that would be a nice way of going about it. I'm sure you could say a lot of other things that are not so nice. Yeah. Yeah. Like, to be honest, I, I thought about that at a certain point, but you know, he was an older doctor. He would probably ignore me and yeah. I don't have a diagnosis. I don't have a diagnosis produced where I live to rub in his face. Um, oh you know, eventually I found a, a psychiatrist that did admit that this was due to, probably due to the mental compromise. Um, even though he didn't have much to offer, he, he suggested I try vortioxetine for the agitation. Jesus, um, I'm glad you didn't do that. Uh, I didn't because yeah, at, yeah. at the time I knew better, but he was like, yeah. well, yeah, this is probably the metacropomite. Okay, how about we keep the mirtazapine as it is yeah. and, and go for some vortioxetine to take the edge off? I think those were the words yeah. he used. And I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. Um, yeah, thanks. You can layer some PSSD on top of the akathisia um, oh, yeah. as well. I mean, yeah. That'd probably make it better. Yeah. yeah. And you know, what's what's... What's very shocking to me is that despite the amount of suffering this can cause and despite the amount of meds that can be involved in producing akathisia, there's no protocol for taking people through this, you know? We don't even know the pathophysiology properly. So I'm, I'm supposed to navigate this alone? It's like, are you kidding me? 
um, why isn't there more? It's it's incredible, you know. It's yeah, there's nothing. There's 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 nothing there. I mean, it's a lot easier to remain kind of willfully ignorant about it if you're a health regulator or or, or the manufacturer of metoclopramide because. I mean, the more you talk about this problem, the more you kind of have to do something about it. And the reality is it's not a quick fix, right? It, there's nothing you can really do about it. What, you know, put people on clonazepam periodically, which can cause a de dependence in its own problems, doesn't even fully resolve it. You essentially just have to keep people alive long enough for them, for them to recover. And, and here's the other thing. I mean, if, if people are talking about this, who in their right mind would take Reglan for more than like one or two doses for some absolute emergency? I don't think anyone would do it because, and this is the same with the SSRIs, even if a risk is rare and uncommon, just knowing it, like if you had known just then, hey, Diogo, we're going to put you on metoclopramide. It's an old drug been used for ages, but there's a very, there's a risk that this could cause a very rare and, debilitating neurological condition that could last for years you'd probably say uh i i'm okay thank you you know i'll, I'll take the drug that doesn't cause that or i'll just i might take it once or twice and that's it and, and they don't want that they, they, they want people taking it daily <laughs> yeah i just go i'm okay i'm gonna go puke over there yeah and uh, i'll be good you know and my bottom and year get better that's yeah. the thing you know like I, I have a bad time for a couple of weeks if it's really bad. Most of the time it's a couple of days. So if I was told, if I was informed of the potential consequence of taking this drug, I would never, ever have taken it. I didn't even know it could affect the brain, you know? Yeah. Like, if the, even if they told me, oh, this is a very rare side effect, I wouldn't take it, right? And this is one of the things I'm going to, I mean, I'm going to look it up right now um, while we're here together, because I, I'm, I'm curious to see what is actually in the, um, on the drug label. Yeah. But when I open it up, there's a black box warning stamped on the top of it. This is in the U S I don't know if it's like this in Portugal or wherever you were. And the first thing that it says on there is it can cause a potential, a serious movement disorder that is often irreversible. Um, and so it's meant to be common knowledge that that warning has been there for a long time, by the way, it, it's been known for that drug class for a while. The fact that doctors think that they can put people on these medications and not even discuss the most serious risk of the drug. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. It's mind boggling, you know? Yeah. And, and because it's not even a risk that's hidden in some post-marketing little footnote in the label. It's the first thing that you read when you open the drug label in a big box at the top where it says warning, you know, um, the, the highest warning you could give a drug, a, an adverse drug reaction, and they didn't even tell you about it. No, it's mind-boggling, you know, and I'm, and I'm thankful I didn't get tardive dyskinesia, you know, like given that like I wasn't on the drug too, for too long, tardive dyskinesia was unlikely, very unlikely, but akathisia was also unlikely. You yeah. know, and, and it still happened. It's it, like... They're two sides of the same coin. Someone, some people get akathisia, the other people get TD. Both are absolutely debilitating. I mean, akathisia is probably worse, actually, for how it makes people feel. The, at least with TD, there's not, not that inner dysphoria yeah. and agitation which drives people to end their lives. But it's 
yeah. the, it's the same disease process, you know, the, the TD and the akathisia. Um, yeah, even though, you know, like I, I'd like to add, like from my understanding, I don't know what, what, what your thoughts are about this, but um, for, for tardive dyskinesia, I do see that people like stay with it for like a longer period of time generally than akathisia. You know, akathisia, from my experience, could be pretty bad, but I see the most severe cases clearing over three to five years, something like that. And tardive dyskinesia, I see people like seven years in, 10 years in, 12 years in. That's my experience from the forums. I don't know what you've seen in your practice. Um, that's, that's, that's my experience from clini clinical practice as well, um, that, that TD tends to, tends to last longer. I mean, that most people, when they see TD, they think it's going to be permanent. But truthfully, like... Most of the akathisia I see is from the benzodiazepine sufferers, and that tends to resolve within... Sometimes it's as soon as 12 months, but I've seen it go up to three to five years at times. Um, and and so it doesn't surprise me that the akathisia that you get from metoclopramide, which honestly sounds identical to what the benzodiazepine sufferers are experiencing, tends to resolve in that, in that period of time. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, the thing is to stay alive and and stay as, as functional as possible as you go through it, you know, because uh, my life is great. You know, I have a family, I have a job I like, I live in a place I like, everything about my life is great. It's just that these symptoms are unbearable and they're still at unbearable levels, you know. They've gotten better within the unbearable, yeah. right? And, and, you know, I was told that Akathisia has like three main components, the agitation, the dysphoria, and and uh, the the pacing and the movements, etc. Right, the akathisia itself. And uh, in you know, in my experience, what happened to me was like my agitation has recovered thirty percent, forty percent. My dysphoria hasn't recovered, and my pacing has. So it's a very long road for some people. And meanwhile, you gotta put up with it. And you got to find reasons to live day by day. And you don't have a timeline. Because if you break a leg or whatever, you know that you'll be better in, I don't know, three, four months. Yeah. Uh, they'll give you an estimate, right? And the estimate will be quite accurate. Some people might take a little bit longer. Some people heal a little bit faster. But this, you don't know if you'll be healed tomorrow or if you'll take a couple more years to get better. It's crazy. You're right. It could be six months or it could be five years, right? probably somewhere within that range. Um, and I think that that's almost torture, just knowing that in, a, in and of itself, like how unpredictable it is and how challenging it could be to plan your life when you don't know how long it's going to last. Like you can't, you know, and you can't plan your life. And, and there's something to be said for like caregiver fatigue too, you know, because when when you're in your wars and people are taking care of you, your parents or your spouse or whatever, like they want to know how long that will last. Like how long will it be like this? How long will I have this person crying and pacing and agitated in my, oh my house? God. You know? yeah. And you can't tell them that, you know, and you feel like a burden, you know, and, and people don't understand how bad it is. You know, sometimes you get told, well, just look at the bright side. And there's no bright side to it. 
There isn't. It doesn't exist because of the dysphoria. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you were able to feel happiness despite the agitation, or if you felt sad, dysphoric, but without the agitation, maybe it could be more bearable. But the combination of the two is mind-boggling. It really is. Yeah, and, and it's... I'd like to remind people that it's it's not just uh, like a physical pain that people feel. The psychological aspect of being in that state of mind completely shades how you see everything. I mean, it, it's it's I mean, it's it's even just difficult to go and sit down at a dinner with people and talk about normal things with them because you're in such a different world. Oh, you know, oh, you guys are excited about going away on a vacation, like. If I'm going on a vacation, I'm just thinking to myself, this is so depressing. How am I going to suffer through this? How am I going to put on a brave face so, you know, maybe my wife can enjoy herself and not look like she's kind of, you know, worried about me or anything like that. It's just you you end up being in a completely, I think it's it's almost like living in a different world where it's very difficult to find things in common with people. You live in a different world. Yeah. You live in a different world because the world you are in doesn't work like the world the rest of the people have, you yeah. know. So I, I sometimes I'm going through life and I'm walking, I'm, I'm coming back home from the subway and I see these people laughing and smiling and, and no matter what I do, I can't have that mm-hmm. because you're physiologically unable to, ha- unable to have that. Yeah. Right. You're, you're permanently to... stuck in a state of a- agitation and dysphoria. Basically, that's yeah. it. You're stuck in a state of agitation and dysphoria. And, and you, you have to be very careful not to lose hope because it can go tomorrow. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Like some people heal very slowly over time. And some people are stuck for longer. And then they heal more quickly. Like there's no way to know. There's no way to know. So we have to be very careful not to lose hope. Yeah. Okay. Well, Diogo, I know, I know you've got to get back to your, to your family. Um, and so I, um, I, I want to say thank you so much for coming on and sharing this, this story. I think the metaclopramide group, um, I don't know if anyone's really talking about them online, but I think they're really sort of like a cousin group to, to all of the stuff that's happening with the psychiatric drugs. So I, I appreciate you coming on and talking about that. Um, and please just, um, you know, before we end, is there anything else that you want to share? I think your message about just not giving up is the most important one, but does anything else come to mind that you'd like to speak about before we wrap? Yes. One thing I'd like to speak about is basically setbacks and problems. Like you don't heal in a linear fashion, mm-hmm. you will have, you can have, not necessarily, but you can have severe setbacks. So for instance, I've been feeling better slowly for a year, but the month of August for me was complete hell on earth. Mm-hmm. I, I had very, very severe agitation like I hadn't had in a long time. So don't let that scare you too much um, because that can happen. And it doesn't mean you're getting worse. It doesn't mean you're, you're not fixable. It's just part of the process. So mm-hmm. hang in there. Yeah, and another thing that's important, I think, is that 
akathisia can feel differently for uh, different people, right? So we talked about the fear, the dysphoria, the agitation. I think there's also the aspect of it, of it, um, of it affecting, like giving you bodily sensations to a degree, like you feel like your head's getting crunched or your neck or you have acid poured over you. Uh, some people feel it more on their chest. Some people feel it more on their neck or on their head. I feel it on my neck. It's not with me all the time. I feel it on my neck. But just stay, keep the course, uh, taper any causative agents, and keep the hope because life on the other side must be wonderful. That's what people tell me. I'm still not there, but I will get there. Yeah. Thank you I so think much. You're, you're, you're well on your way. Um, and I mean, you talked about tapering causative agents. You know, if someone comes into the group and they ask, they just say, hey, I think I've just discovered I have akathisia from metoclopramide. You know, what should I be aware of to, you know, um, minimize any further damage or improve my symptoms in any way? Is there a list of drugs or things that you just maybe generally tell people like, hey, if you haven't thought about stopping caffeine and nicotine, you know, cut that out. Like if you're on stimulants, cut that out. And I mean, if you could just share anything about like maybe like a checklist of things that you, that, that you generally see shared amongst sufferers. Yeah, I would say, yeah, stopping caffeine goes without saying. Uh, any stimulants goes without saying. Uh, don't drink alcohol, even though it's it's not a stimulant. Um, caf- not like Nicotine is interesting because some people find that it's soothing to them. I've heard about this. Um, I, I have, I've never smoked, so I decided not to do anything like that. But yeah, I would say if you can, stop nicotine too. Um, eat clean, uh, sleep as much as you can. I know it can be hard, especially in the more acute stages. And find people that understand what you're going through, basically. Because no matter how supportive your family is, most likely they will not understand what you are going through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well said. And essentially identical to what I'm doing with people with uh, benzodiazepine and antidepressant injuries. It's it's uh, surprising, but not surprising that that is very similar. So, uh, uh, Diogo, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, I'd like to invite you to reach out to me in a year or so and just um, check in again for an interview, just so we can um, uh, see how you're doing. Because I think that's also helpful for people. I mean, think about some imaginary person five years from now who's just had this happened and then they could watch your first interview and then your second one i think that would be so cool so so please uh keep that in mind and 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 reach out so we can catch up again i'm happy to do this yearly and next time with less background noise okay (laughs) all right you take care bye-bye